What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the sixth episode of Asian Students Speak Out. We're your hosts. I'm Martin, a senior from Toronto, Canada. I'm Yoja, and I'm a 17-year-old Chinese American based in New York, U.S. So we have our guest speaker today, our first guest speaker,、um, Mei Tan. So I would like to ask her. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, and yeah. Um, hi, my name is Mei Tan. I am currently a freshman at Cornell University.、Um, I'm on studying public health on a pre med track with a、um, Southeast Asian Studies minor. And I was born in Burma, moved to the U.S. when I was around six or seven, and basically lived my entire life in Great Neck Long Island until I moved here to Ithaca.、Um, My sort of, I guess, activism started when, in around 2012, 2013, when I was yeah,、um, eight or nine, when the first democratic movements had started. And I was very much exposed to the democratic uprising and was very much interested in that.、Um, it dwindled as I got older, but then when the coup started back up in January of 2021, I started getting back into politics and back into activism again. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about your activism, like specifically in Burma or for like democracy, you know, around the world?、Um, so, well, most of my work is in Burma solely because I have the resources to do it.、Mm-hmm. So, one of my main sort of jobs, I guess, or things I do is translation.、Um, a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the forms and Um, documents that refugees have to deal with. if So basically, refugees move from Burma to America or any other neutral country in order to escape the coup, right?、Mm-hmm. And in doing so, this coup, the, in, these people need documentation. Need, they need forms to be filled out and they need to understand what's happening. And most of these people are not fluent in English, or if, even if they are, The legal jargon that comes with these, these forms are very, very hard for even native speakers like me or you to understand. And so, my job is to translate those documents into actual readable and understandable Burmese documents for these refugees to fill out. And that's what I basically have been doing for most of my, I guess, last year. So, I'm assuming when you're working with、um, different Burmese immigrants, Have they, the interactions with them, like impacted the way you view your culture or the way that you view your American identity or Burmese identity? Yeah, you can talk about whatever. Yeah, there's definitely been like changes.、Um, you know, even though I do consider myself more Burmese than I do American, I am still a Burmese American. I mean, I was raised here, I speak English, I'm, I'm very much Americanized. And、mm. so <clears throat> there was some, at first, some. Resistance towards me、uh, helping out because they, did, they didn't believe that I would do a good job or, or translate properly, or they thought there was some resistance to me, which I honestly get because, you know, I'm an American、mm-hmm. and I'm foreign, right? Which did hurt because, you know, I consider myself as Burmese, and if these Burmese people don't consider me as Burmese,、right. like, am I even Burmese? Um, but then they warmed up to me. I, I sort of created these relationships after like, proving myself, like, yeah, no, I, 
I am Burmese. I know the culture. I, I know how to read and write. I, I do all these things. And it also, like, sort of messed, like, with my ideology of what I thought Burma was. Because, you know, admittedly, I had a very narrow view of Burma. I, I am from the ethnic majority in Burma. So there's, uh, there's, hundreds and, there's hundreds of ethnic minorities in Burma. And, you know, probably the most prominent are the Rohingya, right? And I not, wasn't necessarily part of that. I am not necessarily, I'm not part of that ethnic minority. And I can't necessarily empathize with their experience. And so just like seeing that and then being able to help them out was, was an eye-opener, truly. It was, was, to, was to me to see my country in a different light, whether it be bad or good. No, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing this with us. And before we talk more in depth about... Um, the Burmese coup and like what democracy means for Burmese people. I just want to give a bit of, like a brief context to the country of Burma. So it's a Southeast Asian nation and it's right um, to the south of China. And, um, and I wanted to ask May, can you tell us the difference between the nation's two names? Because I, on the maps, I see Myanmar, but then um, you also call it Burma. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so um, yeah. basically, so in, basically 2011, in 2011, 2012, I think, 2012, I think um, the, um, military the military changed the name changed from Burma, the name to, from Burma Myanmar. to Myanmar. Um, um, it's, it's, the reasoning the was, reasoning because, was because, Burma because Burma was the name that, the, the, British name gave that the British gave our country, our Burma, country Burma, Burma, because, because and they wanted to get rid of these so-called co- colonial roots. And they, in my opinion, they created this long-winded reasoning behind changing the name, which I don't necessarily agree with. In my opinion, they just changed it so that they could mold this country into whatever they wanted it to be and sort of completely like erase whatever history that was before it. And so when I speak about, like in in our language, where the Burmese, like, Burma, it's just Burma. It's Burma. It's not. It's Burma. It's not. Myanmar came after, and so, in my opinion, I feel like that's just the name that I will was taught and will continue to use because I don't like. Yep. Sure, like people have accepted that Myanmar is a name of the country, but it's not the one that I would use. Got it. Um, and you talked a little bit about like um, Burma versus Myanmar, and I was wondering, um, like after the military took over, which was recently, right, like February twenty twenty one, it it like the the junta is that what it's called? The yeah the junta rule. So they renamed it Myanmar to like reinstate their rule and legitimize their rule over the people in a way. They changed it the first time. So the military junta has taken power twice. The first time, well, well the first time was in nineteen fifty six fifty seven, and then that created sixty years of military rule until nineteen uh, two thousand twelve where we had our first democratic election. And then until 2012 to 2021, 2020, we had democratic elections 
and we had a democratic country. And then, and, and then in 2021, was then the, the junta take, took over again. So the first name change was in, the name change was in 2010, 2011, I don't know, but the, the junta's power had actually started from the 1960s. Got it. Okay. And then you also talked about like how Burma was named under the British colonial rule. And I was wondering if Martin wants to jump in about like question about the colonial history um, about Burma. I, I know that back in um, around 1990, like Burma did have a election, but like the the result was ignored by the military because it wasn't in their favor. And then recently this happened again to be honest because um the military even though they they um they adopted this election they still had 25 percent of seats in the house and no matter what amount of votes they had so what do you think can be done to to prevent these events from reoccurring again and so the 25 percent seat that you're that you're referring to is written in the constitution Okay. So when, um, in so when the country was being created and become more modern, there was amendments added to the constitution, and one of the amendments were that the military always had twenty five percent of the seats in the house. So in order to have a majority, the the opposition would always need to have seventy five, or like around that type of number. So they made so it was almost impossible for opposition to be created but they did it under the constitution so in reality the 25 percent is constitutional and i feel like if if then we have to de- just destroy that amendment and make that not a, a viable part of the government but it's a vicious cycle in order to destroy that amendment the government needs to vote on it and the vote on it <clears throat> there's still 25 percent of the people there yeah. And so it's a vicious cycle. And the only way that 25% can get destroyed is if the military like somehow gets brainwashed into thinking that, oh, this is okay, and then gets and then votes against their own party, which is very unlikely to happen. Yeah. And for actually the majority <clears throat> so 2020, 2021, there was an election in Burma. And the results were 75% NLD, the National League for Democracy, and 25% were um, for the military. The 25% that was already in the military were the 25% written in by the Constitution. That essentially means that every single person that could vote voted for the NLD and did not vote for the military. Can you uh, say what the NLD is, just for our listeners? The NLD is the National League of Democracy. Um, it, it, it is head, headed and founded by Don San Suu Kyi, which is a pretty well-known name. Um, her, her and her party were essentially the forefront in democracy. Um, they were the Democratic Party, they were the main opposition against um, the military, and they continued to be so. Right. 
And like she also, when I was doing my research, she also um, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1990 for her efforts right in Burma to lead the democracy movement. And unfortunately, um, I also, when I, was, when I was researching, she was imprisoned by the military rule. Um, and a lot of like her colleagues from the NLD, the National League of Democracy, they were also put on house arrest for like corruption or um, other crimes. Um, and I was wondering what you thought about that. Like, was that very scary to see? And how did it impact your people, like the people? Which time are you referring to? The first time or the second time? The second time in like February. In February, yeah. So yeah. basically, Duang San Suji is the daughter of Bojo Aung or General Aung San. Bojo Aung San is the, jo- the George Washington of Burma. He was the one who headed against the British to create Burmese independence. And so thus, she has some uh, privileges being the daughter of this re- re- like revered leader. So specifically because she is a woman and she is going against the military, if she was a normal person, she would have been executed literally 30, 40 years ago. She would have been chucked into prison, died because of how much like her waves, how much she like created such a big noise around this around the democratic movement. But because she is the daughter of of Aung San, she is given privileges, and that means that she was put under house arrest. And this is not her first time being put under house arrest. Um, this is her second time being put under house arrest, and I mean it is scary, of course. Because she's also, like, not as young as she used to be. She's, like, 75, 85 years old. So, like, you know, that's going to take a toll on her health. And also just, like, she is so loved by our people that not having her as, like, a figure is a very, very detriment. Because right now, the opposition against the military is very much scattered. It's, it's, there's different factions of what different people want and among different ethnic minorities, and we're not united under one front. And that's, right. and that's mainly, like, I would say a part of it is because we don't have those hands which she, you know, visible and publicly out. Because if she said, oh, let's do this, and then all forces would come together to do that one thing. But we don't have a significant leader anymore because she's under house arrest. Which is what the military wants. Yeah. And, like, yeah, adding on to you, there was, um, also you said Burma was a very, is a very ethnically diverse nation. So I'm sure, like, that adds on to the challenges of uniting. And um, in my research, I, like, saw there were two, as you said, many organizations, but there were two that popped up in my mind. It was the AAP, AAPP, Assistance Association of Political Prisoners. And, um... Oh wait, that do you do you know about that organization? They claim that the regime killed like a lot of people, right? Yeah, and um, and and also there was a CDM, the Campaign for Civil Disobedience, that organized like a lot of strikes and mass protests against um the junta, um, and I was wondering like, you said that these efforts were are not organized, but are they still effective? Okay, so. The CDM is this big, you know, is the CDM 
is the main opposition force. It has the most money, it has the most resources, it has the most people. Right. However, within the CDM, there are different factions of different people that want different things and that want their name to be known afterwards. Been like, hey, I did this, I did that. And they all want their name to be known. And because of that, there are a lot of selfish stuff going on where there isn't communication. And so, yes, you know, like, we're fighting against, like, a giant. Um, these people in Burma, one, their only financial resource is the people within the actual organization themselves. So, um, you know, I organized a fundraiser back in the summer to fund, you know, to fund these strikes, to fund these, to fund these um, protests. That's their only source of income. On the other hand, the military has China, has Russia to fund their guns and to fund their tanks. And so we're fighting against, in proxy, China and Russia. Right. And so when you ask me, is this effective? We're as, as effective as we can be. Um, you know, albeit we could be more effective if we just, you know, stop being selfish and stop being divided and and stop like putting already bias like we already have bias against each other and so mm-hmm. if we just stop that we would have a united front if we be, we would be more effective but right. you were fighting a, we're fighting a giant so i don't know like we're as, as as effective as we can possibly be so from my research like we talked about from 1824 to 1948 um burma was under british rule and uh it was originally a province of british india and then separated in 1937 and during world war ii 1942 to 45 there was a brief period of japanese occupation and some years that were relevant um to our topic right now is in 1945 britain liberated Burma from Japanese occupation with the help of the Anti-Fascist People's Freedom League led by uh, Aung Sang. And in 1947, Aung Sang and six members of his interim government assassinated, got assassinated by political opponents led by Yu Saw, a nationalist rival of his. And uh, Aung Yu, a foreign minister in Bamao's government, which ruled Burma during the Japanese occupation, was asked to head the AF, uh, PFL, and the government. So, relating that back to, to now, and the um the entire military situation, like we can kind of see that Burma has been under the military rule for an extended period of time, and there's been multiple um demands of democracy by its people, um. May, so do you think, like, why do you think that these multiple campaigns have all not succeeded? Is it, is it because that we've talked about the separation and the diversion between people and activism? Or is it that, like, the strong military oppression um, just has too much control over its citizens? As, as you mentioned, in 1945, Aung San was assassinated. And we got independence in 1948. So within that three-year yeah. period, there was fights for who was going to take Aung San's spot. 
And once again, there was a lack of a one face of a movement. The minute Aung San died, his his control on his people, on on his you know on his subservience, was destroyed, and everyone wanted to reach up to get a piece of the pie. And from nineteen forty eight to nineteen sixty or nineteen sixty five, there was a power vacuum, and so basically different groups gathered power for a certain amount of time and power was transferred from whoever had the bigger gun essentially and it went on and on and on until 1965 when finally like they oppressed everything and and the military that is now took over and i feel like it's because there was never there was never a stable leader besides the military that is why we are we are consistently going back because you know because in 2012 2020 eight years you cannot create a government in eight years you cannot create a stable government in eight years there is no foundation there is nothing and so in eight years like if if i were to give a metaphor of, of building a house right the 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 Democratic Party was just laying on the foundations, were just laying down the very basic framework of a democratic government. On the other hand, the military was a skyscraper, is a multi-reinforced building that is like earthquake-proof or whatever. And so it, it has all of these reinforcements, so if one wall fails, we have another, we have a backup. And so you're putting these two governments against each other the the barely built house and then the reinforced skyscraper so obviously if wind hits the the house is going to get destroyed and the skyscraper will be fine and so i do feel like there is a there is stability albeit not good stability albeit oppressive stability <clears throat> there is stability with the with the military and you know i was raised a lot of my early memories were around the military and how life was relatively normal. You know, I couldn't say certain things, but like life was normal. I played with my friends. I went I went to, you know, preschool. I went to daycare. Yeah. But I but I couldn't say like democratic slogans or like I like my aunt or my my parents had like gone to a basement to have conversations. And so I feel like if the Democratic Party was only given, I don't know, 10 more years to make it 20, I feel like they could have finally like put a stake in the ground and, and actually created a stable government so we don't have to go through this again. Wait, the way that I read it, the articles that I read through, it said that the coup, the military coup, devastated already existing issues in the Burmese society. Like, for example, millions of people being hunger or poverty. And a lot of Burmese people, they fled. They fled to nearby nations. And also, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, while it was an enemy nation's control, whatever. Control, whatever. It, like, it, like, weakened the healthcare system. system. 
Mm. So, mm. I so I was like, wondering, like, um, um, while you say that there is stability, stability under the military, under the military um, dictatorship, dictatorship can, can, I can, can I call it dictatorship? Or no. Okay. Okay. Um, um, like, do you think? Like, do you think these other issues called for people to like want to reform, or was there a bigger cause for government reform? Government reform. If you get my question. If you get my question. Yeah. Um. So there was already poverty. There was already. The military, was stable. Stable meaning that there was one thing. It was consistent. It was constant. But stable doesn't always mean good. The military was a horrible government. The the healthcare system was absolute shit. Um, the poverty and healthcare, the poverty and hunger, sorry, was also dog shit because they continue. So. Basically, in America, we have unemployment benefits, or we have these these. Nets to fall back on if there is an issue with income. There is nothing like that in Burma, and so if let's say someone gets injured or the main breadwinner gets injured, the entire family is on the streets begging, and so. It's a very, the military was constant, and stable quotation marks, but it wasn't good, and so the coup. Basically, lit kerosene and gasoline. On these already issues, because、mm. what they did was the military went into people's houses, went into government official houses, and destroyed them, ransacked them, burned them down to the ground. And if you're already terrorizing houses that have been stricken with poverty, you're gonna increase poverty. You're gonna increase hunger. Right.、Yeah. Right. And because the military coup happened, and because Western countries don't like. Coups and they don't like anti-democracy. They put sanctions on Burma. These sanctions create inflation. This this inflation makes food prices go high. When I was, I think, two years ago in twenty 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 nineteen, the jet was a fifteen hundred jet was one dollar in America. Now, the current, um. Like exchange rate is three thousand five hundred jet to one dollar. It more than doubled in、Crazy. the course of two years. So, so the money that they have now is cut in half. Essentially, right? And so you're、yeah. increasing already issues that have already existed. You talk about like、um, how other nations they tried to help in a way, like for pro democracy.、Um, But by like sanctioning or putting economic sanctions on Burma, and you see how that like negatively impacts the people. So I was wondering, like, how? Because I know the UN, like, they declared how the treatment of the junta, um, is terrible and should be condemned, and they did. And I was wondering, like, what actually productive actions can other nations take to help Burma, or is this like a problem that Burma needs to? Needs to fix itself first before it gets help from the outside. Okay, yeah. So the idea of sanctions is to cut funding to the perpetrator, right? Sanctions don't help if the perpetrator is getting money from, not getting money from the sanctioned nations. The junta is getting money from China and Russia and North Korea and countries like that. 
They're not getting money from America. They're not getting money from uh, Great Britain. They're not getting money from Canada. Yeah. And so these sanctions, because America imports in food and things like that and like necessities. So if you're putting sanctions on that, you're just hurting the people. And I get it. It's a show of like we 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 don't like this. Right. And the sentiment is there like yes i understand that you guys don't like this however there is negative impacts on the people yeah and the, and this leads to a bigger discussion of what this like my parents always were like yeah like why can't america come in and do what they did in vietnam or do what they did like in korea and when you go when you look back and you see what america when america interfered as the world's policeman you can see that it became a proxy war war you know vietnam was a proxy war so was south so was korea it's a proxy war because um indirectly if america and and these western pro democracy countries come in and and help burma they're going against china and russia and thus will create a proxy war within because the Russia and China will continue to funnel in money and continue to funnel in weapons to the junta and similarly America Britain and whatever will funnel in money and guns to the people and that will create a war and right. so and like- so you're in this you know I like you're stuck because you're like okay I want to do this but then it's related to that but then sanctions don't help either. So right. all we can do is nothing. So like, or like the best, or don't help by like US deploying forces or whatever, like, but do help with food and providing food and resources. Like humanitarian support is fine. I like, right. of course I don't have like the foresight of like the president, but like, I feel like humanitarian support would be fine. You know, yeah. giving food, giving healthcare, giving masks, or giving extra PPE. Because right. COVID is still a thing that's happening. And especially in these packed barracks that are not even actual barracks. They're just... Because Burma is fighting a civil war right now. There are guns, and the civilians are fighting back. And so there are, like, makeshift barracks. There are makeshift, you know, headquarters. And these barracks are, like, barely funded. And, and COVID is still a thing that happens. So, you know, if they're not dying by guns, they're dying by COVID. Yeah, and I and like when uh before we continue on, like I just want to help the listeners. Like when we define or when we say coup, like May, do you want to go into that? What you mean by the Burmese coup? So the coup, by definition, is when a a exterior power takes over the current le- uh current legally defined power. So essentially. The military, there was an election, the military did not like the results of that election, and then, you know, decided to, you know, shoot some guns around and take over the government, and then seize power for themselves. Their reasoning behind said coup was because there was election fraud, which sounds really familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it happened around the same time. So they, they claimed election fraud as their justification for the coup and to rush the capital and to take a, take take um you know documents and people from the to the capital. 
Yeah, and one report I read was like one of the internal motivations from the military was the uh, the current leader did a lot to um, like oppress minorities back then in Burma, and then he wants to cover up his um, past previous mistakes by being the president. Also, yeah, like every every time a country's in this type of civil war where the government wants power and the citizens don't agree, and then, you know, some global superpowers or um, anything, alliances, places, tariffs, or trade policies upon them, it's always the citizens that, to be honest, take the damage and the weight is all on their shoulders instead of the government's. Like, it, it's... This has happened like so many times with America, with um, Iran, and multiple countries in the Middle East, and even now with Russia, where you know Putin is enacting this war, but the citizens don't necessarily want this continuing. But they're taking, they're taking the burden instead of the government. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's really well said. I hope I hope you guys all had a great time listening to May and. All of her detailed information. Yes. Thank you so much for May for joining us because we do like we don't talk about um these types of movements and like especially now. Like we talk about the Cold War, we talk about how democracy versus communism and autocracy um in the nineteen hundreds. But we have to be, you know, also very knowledgeable on today's current topics and especially with the like the the violence that's happening in Burma. Um, so I want to say thank you so much, May, for joining us. Yes, of course, of course. And, and we'll see you in the next episode.